everybody's had their coffee. They're awake. That's good. Um, you know, this week is kind of the, I don't know if you, if you know this or not, but for a pastor, Sunday is the best day of the week. It really is. It's the day you look forward to all week because you get to come and you get to be with God's people and you get to share God's word and then you get to be with God's people some more and then you get to go home and take a nap. And that's awesome. Um, and we, I want to tell you that we are moving forward with our new fellowship space. Um, if you are very careful, you might uh, stick your head in there. Uh, that our uh, carpenter is going to be setting cabinets, I believe, tomorrow. And then we'll be, as soon as those are set, uh, taking measurements on our countertop, getting our sink installed, our, new, our lights installed, uh, doing some touch-up painting and cleaning everything up and uh, setting furniture in, and we'll be off to the races, hopefully, fingers crossed, and this is a matter of great prayer, uh, everybody will get in here at exactly the right times, and we'll be open and ready to use that space um, in time for our 50th anniversary. Uh, this week, I also, because I'm doing a series on evangelism, I kind of expect this, that because every time I teach something, you know, whatever it is, uh, God always gives me opportunities to apply whatever I'm going to tell everybody else to do. And so this week I got an opportunity to share the gospel not once but three times, uh, once at, uh, or two times uh, with individuals, and, and then, uh, of course, uh, with uh, Marge Geiger's funeral on Friday. I uh, always want to take the opportunity whenever... Uh, people are thinking about eternity anyway to uh, point out the way that God has provided to ensure that you wind up where you want to go. And, uh, and, and so it's been a neat week, been an exciting week, been a tiring week. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that nap this afternoon. Uh, hope some, none of you beat me to it here this morning. Um, but... Uh, this is our third week of our guilt-free series on evangelism, and I want to remind us all that you can do this. You can. In fact, our Awana kids can do this. They, they learn all of these verses I'm going to share with you today. Okay? And if they can do it, trust me, you can do it. You can do this. You can do this, and it doesn't have to be scary. In fact, next week we're going to talk about how do you overcome the fear that we all have associated with evangelism. But this week, uh, what we want to talk about is making our presentation really clear. When we share the gospel with somebody, last week I gave you all kinds of warnings. You know, uh, don't tell somebody, would you like to pray to receive Christ? Because that's not how a person comes to faith in Christ. They don't come by praying. They come by believing. Amen? They come by believing. It's by grace through faith, not by grace through prayer. Uh, it's Although there's nothing wrong with praying, and if you want to pray and tell God what you're doing as you believe, that's one thing, and that's wonderful. But you need to be clear. You need to be clear. You don't say to people, you know, would you like to invite Christ into your heart? The Bible never tells a believer to do that. I mean, an unbeliever to do that. The Bible tells a believer to do that. To make sure that Christ is not standing outside of your life, outside of the door waiting to come in. Revelation 3.20 talks about that. But it tells an unbeliever to put their trust in Jesus Christ. To recognize what Jesus has done for them, who he is, 
and to believe in his death and resurrection to receive eternal life. And so this week, we want to talk about how to make your presentation really clear. And I'm going to give you the method that I was taught back in seminary that I use and have used hundreds of times with people. This is called the bad news, good news approach, okay? And it's not inspired. It's not in your Bible either, okay? It's not something that, you know, came down from heaven, you know, or walked down off Sinai with Moses and the tablets. It's just a method. And it's a good method because it's a method that is very simple, very memorable, very easy, very adaptable to various situations. And so I use it all the time. Whenever I share the gospel, you know, variations of this are what I always use. And I want to teach you how to do it because what the message is, is that they are a sinner, that Jesus Christ came to save them from their sin, and that by putting their trust in him, they can have the salvation that Jesus offers. It's real simple. And what you want to do is, um, as you're talking with someone, eventually there's going to be a point in the conversation where you're going to be able to make a transition and be able to share with them. I had a young man I talked with on Wednesday night this last week, and uh, he'd had made some, some poor choices so far in his life, and I asked him, I said, I said, you know, you seem like a guy who could use a new start in life. And he said, yeah, man, I could use a new start. Well, you know, Jesus promises you a new start in life, that you can be made clean, that you can have, that you can start over in your relationship with him and be washed of all the stuff that you've done in the past. How does that sound? Would you like to know more about that? Yeah, I would. Well, let me tell you some more about that. And you, all you're trying to do is to point someone to the solution to their biggest problem in life. Their biggest problem in life is not their mom, it's not their dad, it's not their wife or their ex-wife or their ex-husband or ex-boyfriend or their boss or their finances or any of that. Their biggest problem in life is that they are separated from God by their sin. And you want to point that out to them as graciously and as gently as you can, but you also want to point them to the solution. And that's the basis of the bad news, good news approach to evangelism. Okay? Uh, you know, maybe you start by saying, hey, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Everybody has something. Even if they believe that, that after the universe ends, there's just nothing, you know? Like Carl Sagan said, you know, the universe is all there ever was or is or ever will be. You know, it's like, are you sure about that? Because, you know, he believed that, he believed that life first came to Earth on an alien spacecraft. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, or there were, I, for, I forget the guy's name, might be Jacques Monod, I don't know, but... Um, he said that, that our number came up on the roll of the dice at Monte Carlo. That's a spiritual belief. Okay? It is. It's a spiritual belief. That, or, or, you know, they closed out the Olympics this year with imagine. Right? It starts out, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Right? You know that song. 
right? It's an atheist hymn is what it is, okay? But it's a spiritual belief. And then you might ask, well, to you, who is Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? Then you might ask, if what you believe were not true, would you want to know? That will get you an entry. Well, no, I don't want to know. Okay, you don't have to share. The door's not open. But if they say, well, yeah, I, I think I'd like to know. If my beliefs weren't true, I'd want to know. And you can say, you can say this. You can share with them the first point of the, the bad news. You can say, well, has anybody ever taken a Bible and shown you how you could know for sure where you will go when you die? Most people never have. Well, could I show you? Let me show you the first point of the bad news. Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And most people who are ready to hear the gospel have no problem with this verse. Because they know, they know in their heart of hearts, God has put eternity in the hearts of, his, of, of people. He, they know God's righteous standard. Romans 1 says that people suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, it's like trying to hold a beach ball under the water. And you can do that for a while, but eventually that dude is going to pop up. And people know that they are sinners. And so this makes sense to them. They say, you know, have you ever done anything you're not proud of? You ever done anything you're particularly ashamed of? Everyth ever done anything you'd be ashamed to admit to your mama? Or to your closest friends? The Bible says that's sin. It's sin. And it says that all of us have sinned. And you just want to explain the verse to them. Explain the verse. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? It means a couple of things. To sin is to miss the mark. Okay, It's an archery term, actually, of you know, I like, I like to shoot my bow and arrow. I have yet to actually shoot anything other than targets in the backyard with it. But I like to shoot it. And the idea is not just that you have shot, uh, you have shot and hit the wrong spot on the target, but that you have shot the wrong target and hit that instead. So instead of hitting, you know, your, you know, your foam deer in the backyard, you've shot a tree or the garage, or the car, you know, you, you shot the wrong thing, okay? That what we have pursued in our life is something totally different from what God would point us to, that we have missed the mark, we have missed the target. And an illustration you might use is throwing rocks. You know, maybe if you go to my house, we got a little section of the driveway that's gravel, and we've got a bunch of those little white rocks over there, for me to park my truck in, and uh, and you could say to somebody, you know, I tell you what, uh, you look like a young and healthy individual. You know, let's take turns throwing rocks. Now, now uh, stand. Uh, let's see, what direction are we facing? Okay, this way's north. Now I want you to go out in the parking lot with me and throw your rock, and whichever one of us gets to the north pole first is the winner. <laughs> okay, so rear back your arm. Ready? You know, and you can throw as hard as you want, okay? Uh, you can get 
Roger Clemens in here, and you can have him throw, okay? And let's see whose rock gets the furthest. I doubt any of you get to the Marshall County line from here, right? And there's a vast distance between here and the North Pole. And what you want to say to people as you're sharing with them about falling short of the glory of God is that, some, is that you know, there is a relative degree of goodness to human beings, right? I mean, some people are really good. They're very moral. They're very upstanding. You know, they're like Roger Clemens. They can throw that rock a long way. The problem is, is that all of us ultimately fall way short. I mean, let's say you even are able to throw your rock from here to Hopewell. I mean, that's a long way for throwing rocks. But it's still a vast amount of distance between here and the North Pole. And so when the Bible says that you fall short of the glory of God, what it means is, is that no matter how much effort you put into it, no matter how good you are, you're still a vast amount of difference a vast amount of distance between your ability and God's standard of holiness. Because God's standard is perfect. That's the bad news. That all have sinned, all miss the mark of God's standard. And no matter how much effort you put in it, you're not ever going to be good enough to attain to God's standard. I mean, I love Pierce. I work out there regularly. But you're not going to be able to work out enough, lift enough weight to be able to throw your rock to the North Pole. It's just not going to happen. It's too far. And the same thing is true with reference to religious things. That no matter how many times you go to church, no matter how many sacraments you keep, no matter how much money you give, no matter how many old ladies you walk across the street, um, no matter how many Girl Scout cookies you buy, well, that might be falling into sin, I don't know. At least it is if you eat them. But in any case, um, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, you're not going to be as good as God. You're always going to fall short. That's the bad news. So, again, this is a training session. This isn't just me preaching. What's the bad news? All have sinned. What's the verse? Romans 3.23. What's the illustration? A rock, throwing rocks, okay? You can do this. Trust me, you can do that. You can explain that to somebody and have it make sense. And the problem with the bad news is that the bad news gets worse. And the worst news is this. Let's go to over Romans 6, 23. Actually, just Romans 6, 23a. I don't even make you memorize the whole the whole verse, just the first half. Okay? This is easy. Anybody can do this. Ready? For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. And as you read that with someone, you, you might say to them this. You might say, look, suppose that I were to pay you $50 to shovel my driveway. What you got paid will be your wages. What you've earned for doing the job of shoveling my driveway. Those are your wages. The Bible says that because we are sinners, uh, we therefore sin, and that what we earn as a result is death. 
And by that, the Bible means two things. First, that all of us are going to die physically, right? The stats are all in. One out of one dies. Everybody's going to die someday. Everybody is going to die someday. But here's the, here's the worst part of the worst news. That that's not the end of death. For a person who is a sinner, death means eternity separated from God in the place the Bible calls hell. Why? Because when you are a sinner, you're not just someone who has some moral idiosyncrasies. You are a person who is culpably guilty before God of rebellion and treason against him. And so what you deserve, what the just punishment for your sin is, is eternal separation from God in hell. That's the worst news. That's the worst news. But, just as there is bad news and worse news, there is good news and there is the best news. And this is where you want to take them, is to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Because the good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead. And before we get there, let me stop. Let me review. What's the bad news? All of sin. What's the verse? 23. And what's the illustration? Okay, what's the worst news? Wages of sin is death. What's the verse for that? Romans 6.23. What's the illustration? Wages. Wages. It's right there in the verse. The wages of sin. What you earn because you're a sinner is your wages. Death. Separation from God. For eternity. Now, what's the gospel? This is the good news. What's the gospel? Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead, right? That's the gospel. That's the good news. And you want to show them the gospel. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love in this for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while we were still rebels, while we were still traitors, while we were still shaking our fist at God, even then, God, because of his love for us, sent Christ. And, and here's an illustration you might give, and this is one that, that makes a lot of sense to people. You might say to them, suppose that you were in the hospital and you were dying of cancer. And let's suppose that it were possible for me to take the cancer cells out of your body and put them in mine. Well, what would happen to you? You'd be healed. What would happen to me? I would die. I would die. Because I would be your substitute. I would take the thing that was causing you death and give you life. 
And in a sense, that is what Jesus has done. When he dies on the cross for our sin and is raised from the dead, what he's doing is he's taking from us the thing that is causing us death, eternal separation from God. And he's taking it on himself so that we, through his resurrection, can have life. Only not just life that just kind of continues, you know, because the problem with taking somebody's cancer away is that eventually they're going to die again of something else, maybe a car crash, maybe pneumonia. They're going to die again of something else. But here's the great part about the gospel, that when Jesus takes our sin away from us and onto himself and pays for it at the cross, what happens is is that we may die physically, but we live eternally. We live eternally. Amen? Is this not an exciting message enough? I mean, come on. This is as good as it gets right here. This is the gospel. The gospel that Jesus Christ died to take away sin and to give you new life. And that's just the good news. Let me give you the better news. Before I do that, though, let's review. What's the bad news? All of sin. What's the verse? 23. What's the illustration? Rocks. Okay. What's the worst news? The wages of sin is death. Okay. What's the verse for that? 23. And what's the illustration? Wages. Okay. Now, what's the better? What's the good news? Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. Okay. Say it with me. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. One more time. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. He conquered sin and death and hell in one swoop. What's the verse for that? Romans 5.8. You can go John 3.16 if you want. You can do a whole host of them. Pick one, okay? Pick one where the gospel is clear and you can explain it. What's the illustration? Cancer. All right, cancer. Now, the best news. You know what the best news is? You can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Because the significance of the gospel is not simply that Christ died and was raised from the dead. It's that he died and was raised from the dead for you. The writer of the Hebrews says it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. What was the joy set before Jesus? You and me. He looked down through history before the world was made, saw that we would fall into sin, and the lamb was slain, John says, before the foundation of the world. He knew that we would fall into sin, and he said, I will go for them. I will go for Joe. I will go for Karen. I will go for Rick, for Debbie, for everyone who would believe in Jesus Christ. And you, this is the best news. You can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And you want to take them to the place where it tells them about it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You know, here's the thing. I, I, I know I'm kind of yelling and I'm getting kind of excited. Okay. Maybe I just need a nap. I don't know. But here's the deal. Okay. This is the most exciting thing that you will ever do. Okay. If you share the gospel with someone, whether they believe or not, what you will what you will experience, I can promise you, is this. Is that you will experience this feeling in your soul that is the applause of heaven. That God is, if you can see it, standing in heaven going, that's my boy. That's my girl. Telling everybody else about me just like they're supposed to. And if you've never felt that, you need to try this, okay? I've never found anything better than this. There isn't anything, I don't think, any better than sharing the gospel with somebody who needs to hear it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I don't want to mess this up because this is too good stuff. This is, this is, this is right stuff right here. For... By grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And once again, all you need to do is explain what does the Bible mean by that? What is Paul talking about it? What is he saying? Well, it's real simple. The word grace means undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. In other words, God is not offering us salvation because we deserve it. He is offering us salvation in spite of the fact that we do not deserve it. That we have done everything to richly deserve hell, but instead, God in His grace, in His unmerited favor, is offering us salvation. And being saved means being rescued, being delivered from the penalty of sin, which is death and hell. Being saved means being delivered, rescued. You know that scene in every good action movie, you know, where the lady is imperiled? And the bad guys have got her, and it looks like, oh, it's going to be serious, you know. She's lashed to the train tracks or swinging from some rope or about to drop in a vat of acid or whatever. And then the hero comes, right? Da-da-da-da! And he's got his mini cannon or whatever, you know, and he shoots all the bad guys. And he grabs his lady love, and they ride off into the sunset on a white horse, you know, and kiss under the, under the moon, you know. And it's great, right? Rescued, delivered, saved. Okay, well, you came in this morning, you came in this morning, you sat down in a chair. Now, this is an old illustration, but it still works. Use it. It works. You sat down in a chair. You weren't there when the chair was made. You don't know the manufacturer. And yet none of you, even those of you who would be seriously hurt if you fell, came in and went, you know, I've got to check this one out. Looks sturdy. Let's check those welds, you know. 
Anybody got a sonogram we can check those with? You know, you don't do that. Why not? Because it's a chair. And every other chair that you've sat in held you up. You trusted in it. And so far, that trust was justified. I don't think anybody's hit the floor yet. Okay? And putting your trust in Jesus Christ is trusting in him to save you from sin and death and hell based on what you know about him. Based on what you know about chairs, you trust the one you're in to hold you up. Based on what you know about Jesus, that he is the Son of God who did die on the cross for your sin and was raised from the dead, you're putting your trust in him to save you from sin and death and hell. You know that the resurrection proves his identity as God and his ability to conquer sin and death and hell. You know that his death covered over your sin. And so what you're asking the person to do is to put their trust in Jesus and on him alone based on what they know about him. So, in other words, remember we talked last week about saving faith? They know who Jesus is, they accept what he has done, and then they believe it for themselves. That's saving faith. That based on what you know about Jesus, that you're putting your trust in him and him alone as the basis for your salvation. And when, it's a pr- when you've shared the gospel with somebody like this, and honestly, I've taken a long time to do it, you can do it in five minutes or less. Five minutes or less, you can share the gospel with somebody. But it's always a point, important to ask them a pointed question at the end and to say, is there anything keeping you from trusting in Christ right now? Anything keeping you from trusting in Christ right now? And be sure to make that invitation to believe in Christ today. Invite them to believe in Jesus Christ and receive salvation. You know, you can encourage them to tell God what they believe about his son in prayer. That's a valid thing to do. But make sure when you do that, that they know it's not the prayer that saves them. It's their faith being expressed in a prayer that saves them. Be very, very clear. That it is what you believe that makes you a sheep or a goat. Not what you did as some sort of religious activity. And if people still seem unsure, sometimes it helps to clarify the object of their faith. And you can talk to them about three things if you want. This isn't necessary in all cases, but sometimes you, you might... Um, person might be a little fuzzy as to what exactly it is they need to do. And so you might talk to them about three things that, that people put their trust in for salvation. And you might talk to them, first of all, about works. And, and what you might say to them is this. You know, if you are putting your trust in your works, in your ability to be good enough to please God, what you're saying to God is Jesus' death was unnecessary. Because I can get there on my own. I'm sure if I get my bicep up big enough and work on my delts, my trapezius, I can get that rock all the way. Jesus' death is unnecessary because I'm going to get there by works. And a lot of people believe that, but a lot of people are deceived. 
Other people, they trust in Jesus Christ, but they trust in Jesus Christ plus their works. You know, well, I, I believe that Jesus came and died for sin, but, you know, I've really got to be a good person. And, if, and, and i got to do some good stuff so that God will be impressed with me. And, you know, Jesus covers, his death covers some sins, but, you know, i gotta, I got to work out the rest on my own. And what you're telling God at that point is that his death was disappointing. Because it didn't cover all your sin, just kind of part of it. It wasn't sufficient. Jesus' death was disappointing. But you want to encourage them and invite them to trust in Jesus Christ alone. Because then you are telling God that Jesus' death was sufficient. That it was sufficient. That it was completely satisfactory to deal with not only your sin, but all the sins of everybody who's ever lived and ever sinned. So, final review. This will be on the test. All right? And the test won't be today. It'll be when you sit across the table from somebody or in a car with somebody or on the factory line with somebody or over the hood of a truck with somebody, or you're out in the pheasant field with somebody, and they are talking to you about spiritual things, and you have the opportunity to share with them, you'll want to know this stuff. So what's the bad news? All have sinned. What is the verse? Romans 3.23. What is the illustration? Rocks. Okay. What's the worst news? The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. And the illustration is wages. Okay, what's the good news? Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead. Don't forget the resurrection. That's important. It's Jesus' death that pays for your sin. It's his resurrection that gives you new life. So don't forget about that. Don't forget about that. What is the verse that goes with the good news? Romans 5, 8. Marty, star for the day, man. All right. Uh, And what is the illustration? Cancer. All right. Now, the best news. You can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. You can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And what's the verse for that? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Okay? What is the illustration? Chairs. Chairs. Okay? Chairs. So, you ready to do this? You ready to get out there and share the gospel with people? Because you are trained. You are equipped. You are now without excuse. Okay? You're now without excuse. And I just want to challenge you with just a couple things here at the end, okay? First of all, you can do this. You can share the gospel with another person. You can do this. And being clear in your gospel presentation is just as important as being clear on what the gospel is. You don't want to make it muddy. You don't want to make it hard because God didn't make it hard. Don't make it difficult for the person to understand what it is you're saying. 
and you do not have to use the bad news, good news. I like it. It works for me. I like it. I've gotten to preach hundreds of messages that use it, gotten to share the gospel with thousands of people using it, and it works for me, okay? But you don't have to use it, but here's what I want you to do. Write this down. Make a decision to learn a method. Make a decision to learn a method. Okay, it doesn't have to be this one. It can be a different one. There are lots of good ways to lead someone to faith in Christ. But make a decision today that I'm going to learn a method. I've just taught you mine. This is a good one. It works. Because it's, and the reason that it works is that I can, number two, make that method your own. Sometimes instead of talking about throwing rocks, I'll talk about taking a swim to Japan. Maybe some of you have heard me do that, right? Go out to California, jump in the water, start swimming for Japan. Guess what? If you're uh, Michael Phelps, you'll probably get further than me offshore. Although I float better than him. I have more more body fat. Okay. Uh, But the fact is, neither one of us is going to get across the ocean. Why? Distance is too far. Okay. You can pick a variety of illustrations, but make the method your own. And then make sure, this is number three, your method contains a clear presentation of the gospel. And number four, make the issue trusting Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. Don't make the issue their sin. You know, well, you know, you got to believe in Jesus and stop doing that. You got to believe in Jesus and go to church with me. You got to believe in Jesus and read your Bible and you need to pray and have a quiet time and, um, you know, stop catting around or whatever, okay? Uh, don't make that the issue. Make trusting in Jesus Christ the issue because guess what? Jesus is powerful. And if he saves them, he will fix their life for them, okay? And you don't have to worry about that. You worry about making the gospel clear. Make the gospel clear. So four things to remember. Learn a method. Make that method your own. Make sure that whatever method you pick has a clear presentation of the gospel. And then make the issue at the end trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Okay? We can do this. You can do it. I can do it. And you can do it, too. You've been trained. You've been taught. You probably know all these verses by heart already. You don't even have to look them up. You don't even have to have a Bible with you when you do it. Okay? (laughs) You can do this over the phone. You can do it on Facebook. You can do it everywhere. Okay? You know, not to borrow from Dr. Seuss too heavily, but, you know, you can do it with a box. You can do it in a box. Okay? You can do it with green eggs and ham. I mean, you can do this. This is easy. This is easy. Scary, but easy. Okay? We'll talk about being courageous next week. This week, let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, in your great grace, 
have reached down from heaven and saved us. That before the foundation of the world, you looked down through history, saw that we would fall into sin given the free will that you gave us. And you determined before you made the world, knowing what would happen, to rescue us. To come for us. To come for creatures that you made out of dirt. You sent Jesus Christ to become one of those creatures, to live a life like one of those creatures, like one of the very lowest in society of those creatures, and to die in the most agonizing way possible on a cross, and then to be buried in a borrowed tomb and to be raised from the dead, that we might be forgiven of sin and might have new life as we put our trust in you. And Father, that kind of love is too big for us to get our arms around. We can't grasp it, but we can appreciate it and understand it and celebrate it. And Father, I pray that one of the ways that we might celebrate it together as a church is by going out into the community of people who are lost that you love and for whom your son died and was raised and share with them the message that we, that we know in our hearts that we've reviewed today that all are sinners, that the wages of sin is death, but that Jesus Christ came and that those who put their trust in him will never be put to shame, but receive salvation. And Father, we pray that we would be bold in doing that. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.